Jesus is coming even now, Lord Jesus. Well, I told you that uh, this is a study that we have talked about last week. Uh, we talked about the end times a little bit and literally you could we could spend months and months and months uh, preaching on this. But I told you that we were going to kind of contain all of our teaching uh, on two Sundays. And the reason is, is simply this is because uh, the king is coming and midnight cry are the only two rapture songs we know. OK, and so we're out of rapture songs and second coming. And so we've just got to move on. Next week for the glory of God. But listen, I love those songs. Those songs never get old to me because they're rooted in the truth of God's word. And so they're just tangible reminders of actually what's going to take place. I'm encouraged every single time I hear them. Hey, there are some other things that no matter how many times I've heard them, they're incredibly encouraging to me. And I get more church jokes emailed to me uh, than, than anybody I know. Right. And so I read those and I love to laugh. And so I store some of those and. And so I came across some of those this week. And one of my favorite uh, categories of church jokes are the things that kids hear in church or actually they mishear and they think and they repeat it and it's wrong. Right. And so kids like they say these like I heard that, but I got it wrong. And so they totally repeat that. And so I, I came across some of those this week. So the Sunday school class was studying the Ten Commandments and they were ready to discuss the last one. And the teacher asked if anyone could tell her what is it? And so little Susie raised her hand and stood tall, was totally confident. And she said, thou shall not take the covers off thy neighbor's wife. Right. Actually, that's not too far off from what it really says, but it's kind of the same idea there. Right. Uh, After the christening of his baby brother in church, Jason sobbed all the way home in the backseat of the car. And so his dad just asked him over and over, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And so finally the boy got composed himself a little bit and he replied. He said, when we were christening, uh, that preacher said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home. But I wanted to stay with you guys, right? So a, a Sunday school teacher asked her children as they were on the way to church service. She said, now, kids, I want you to tell me, why is it necessary to be quiet in church today? And the little girl thought, she said, I know, I know. She said, why is it? She said, we have to be quiet in church because people are trying to sleep. And I say, amen. Like, amen. But you know, what? one of my great things I would love to do and we're. We're trying to raise the money for it here coming up soon is, you know, at the Reds game, like when they have that jumbotron, they catch people doing embarrassing things. I would like to get the, the, the Liberty Heights Tron. And so when someone's sleeping and drools coming out, like right on the screens, all for the glory of God. I just want to clear all for the glory of God. Nursery worker was observing her class of children. They were drawing and she would occasionally walk around and, and she got to little Sarah who was drawing furiously, was so intent. And uh, she said, Sarah. Uh, she said, what exactly is it that you're drawing? And the little girl got indignant because like it's obvious to everybody what I'm drawing. And she said, well, I'm drawing God. And she said, well, the problem is no one knows what God will look like. She said, well, if you quit interrupting me, they would in a minute. Right. And so listen, what we were in last week is that uh, that it won't take a minute to see what God looks like. It only take the twinkling of an eye. Amen. And then on that day. Uh, the one we've been singing about, the one we've been witnessing to and the one we've been working for will finally see him face to face in the clouds. And listen, what a day, what a glorious day that will be. Amen. And so we started that say last week. So let me invite you to take your Bible, see if you have it and turn to First Thessalonians chapter four for part two of a message entitled Don't Quit. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And at his appearing, I pray that all of us are found both faithful and fruitful for the Lord. So don't quit in those times in between. So last week I told you that uh, we were going to go through three questions. 
because there's so much confusion about the end times. And, and I saw a movie or I read a story or I saw something on TV or my friend goes to a church and they think it's going to play out like this. And so because of all those discussions in culture, uh, there's a lot of confusion. And so I told you last week, we're just going to answer three questions about the end times and kind of just lay the foundation uh, in, in doing that. And so last week, we only got halfway through the first question, uh, which is which is what will happen? Like, I've heard this and I read this and I don't know how it all fits. And so, so like, what will happen? And basically what I said is I wanted to lay the foundation of what will happen at the return of Christ under the banner of, of five R's. And I said that after we got done with this, if you could just hold up your hand, you could count, you know, the five R's on there. Then you would know more about the end times than 95 percent of the people uh, who ever walk into a church. OK, and so we just got through the first two uh, last week. We talked about the reveal of Jesus Christ uh, where Christ will descend with a loud shout. We don't know what he shouts. Uh, and the voice of an archangel, and we discovered that was Michael. Uh, and then uh, we also talked about the resurrection of the saints. That those who are dead in Christ uh, are caught up, they're resurrected at that point in time. And so we just got through the first two R's under the banner of what will happen when Jesus returns. And so we're going to walk through the last three R's today and then answer the last two questions kind of quickly. So that, that's where we've been, all right? First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, picking it back up uh, in verse 13. He says, But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrows others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And sleep there is just a euphemism for death. All right. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another. With these words. Now, let me just remind you the context that Paul's writing here. Paul had won these people to Christ uh, on one of his second missionary journey. Uh, he had gone some other place, planting another church, winning other people to Christ. And in that time between Christ was or Paul was there, won them to Christ. And the, the time that he's writing here, they've been in a lot of persecution. Uh, they were trying to serve the one true God in a culture of many gods. They were the epicenter of, of pagan worship. Uh, there was just all kinds of sexual morality going on in the church. And so they were trying to stand for purity. We learned that in chapter three. And so so Paul's writing these things in chapter four, not to, to give an end times uh, prophecy lesson. That's just a vehicle that he uses. The ultimate overarching goal of why he's writing is to comfort them. He says, hey, listen. Just stand firm, be steadfast, don't quit, because there will come a day when Christ will appear. And when he does, all your suffering, all your persecution, listen, at that moment, it'll be worth it. You won't regret a minute of it. And that question was, well, what about those we love who have died? And will they not get to experience the rapture? Will they, what, will they stay in the grave? And so he kind of walks in and says, no, no, the dead in Christ will rise first. And so he just kind of walks in through this, this idea of comforting him about the truth of Jesus' appearing and what will happen. So... First two hours, we're just going to get right into this morning. First two hours, we talked about the reveal of Jesus Christ. Uh, we find that in verse 16. We talked about the resurrection of the saints in verse 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we talked about the third hour a little bit, but I'm going to get to it a little more this morning. The rapture of the living saints. Verse 17, what does he say? He says, then after Christ appears in the clouds, after the dead in Christ are raised, after that, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them where? In the clouds to meet the Lord 
in the air. And so the third R is the rapture of the living saints. Now, when I looked at my notes from last week, I must have got a little excited because we actually dealt with this a little bit last week. We talked about this some and uh, we covered the idea that this is those uh, in the song which says, then those that remain shall be quickly changed. Uh, this is what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 15 about being changed in the twinkling of an eye. And so if you weren't here, let me share that passage with you. But let me tell you a wonderful secret God has revealed to us. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Not all of us will die, but all will be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blinking or twinkling in some translations of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies. And then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. And so we we talked about that last week. And Paul's writing here, he says, listen, you're going to be changed. You're going to, Christ will appear in the clouds. You'll meet him in the air. The dead in Christ that you're worried about, that you're grieved over. Listen, they're going to go first. They're not going to miss anything. And so he begins to teach about the rapture of the living saints. Now, so we don't want to rehash that from last week, but let me give you a little additional information about the rapture. Now, here's the interesting thing. We have talked about this in church. There have been whole book series written about this. Uh, the, the folks have, have wondered about this. And there's a lot of speculation about this. And here's something interesting. The word rapture is never used in the Bible. Do you understand that? Like if someone said, show me the chapter that says rapture. Like if you're in your concordance going, I've never heard of that. And it's not in there. Is it even in the Bible? Those kinds of things. So is that not odd that we're teaching about? It, we're building a theology about it. There's some practical implications as a result of it. We'll get to it in just a little bit for a word that's not even in the Bible. So. But let me just calm yourself this morning, because even though the word is not in the Bible, the concept is clearly taught in Scripture. The word rapture actually comes from a Latin word. It's where we get the word rapture. Uh, you may not know this, but the Bible is written in Greek, a form of Greek called Aramaic. And then one of the earliest translations from that original Greek uh, was a Latin, into Latin. And so that word that we get rapture is actually from a Latin word, which actually means to be caught up. You say, well, what did the original word mean? The original word that we get our word rapture from is a word called harpezo. And you say, great, thanks for the information. What does that mean? Here's what that word means in the original text. It means to seize or to snatch, to swoop down and take away. And when it's used in scripture, it always implies a change of location. Now, that's an incredibly clear description of the rapture. It's quick. It's immediate. It is a change of location. I was alive, then I was uh, translated to heaven to be with the Lord forever. Verse 17, it is a change of location to seize or to snatch up. And so that's clearly taught in Scripture. So if you're like going home and reading your Bible, say, hey, this has been interesting. And and I can't find that word anywhere. It's in there. You just got to dig a little deep. Let me give you another distinguishing characteristic of the rapture. All right now, listen, here's my conviction. I think we're all big boys and girls this morning. All right. And so I'm going to go beyond the surface this morning. I'm going to teach a little deeper uh, than what I sometimes do on a Sunday morning. But I think you can handle this. So if you will stay with me, say amen. Yeah. All right. Tell people you will. Good. Here's another distinguishing characteristic. The rapture of Jesus Christ. And now listen, listen, listen. Some people disagree on this. There are some systems of theology or end times or eschatology study that's kind of a little bit different. And, and listen, that's not a test of fellowship. If you see a little different, that's totally fine. But I will share that I did get my revelation directly from God. So you consider that if you disagree. All right. So, so let me just walk you through this from my understanding of Scripture. All right. The rapture and the second coming are not, not the same thing. 
And so the rapture is the catching up, the meeting of the Lord in the air. The second coming of Jesus Christ is that when he touches down and sets up a literal kingdom where he will rule and reign with the saints for a thousand years. You say, where's that at? We'll get to that in just a minute. And so if you can think about those two things, the rapture is the catching up, as the word implies. A seizing, a snatching, a change of location. So the rapture is the catching up. The second coming of Christ is Christ descending on the earth, setting up his kingdom where he will rule and reign with the saints for a thousand years. And there's some stuff that goes on between called the tribulation. And we'll get to that just a little bit here in just uh, in a few seconds. But the rapture is that when we meet Christ in the air and he appears and we'll be with him for all of that time. You say, well, what exactly are we going to be doing here? Listen, here's the fourth R. It's the word reunion. It's the word reunion. And so verse 16, if we kind of pull this together, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God. Reveal. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Resurrection. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, seized up, change of location together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the, uh, in the air. Uh, so that's a rapture. And then thus she, we shall always be with the Lord. Reunion. It'll be a reunion. And so when Jesus said, hey, listen, I go to prepare a place for you so that when I come again, you may be with me. John chapter 14, verses one through three. He's talking about a time of reunion. Now, let's just be honest this morning because you cannot lie in church. Did you, did you know that? And so let's just be honest this morning. How many of you love reunions? Like, like, right? Like, listen, you just, when the reunion rolls around every five years, you're all over it. Right? You just go in there. How many of you like family reunions? Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not one of those people. And so, like, here's my philosophy. Now, this is not truth, but this is close to it. Uh, so you should write this down. Here's my philosophy on the whole reunion concept. Uh, if I wanted to stay in touch, I would have. All right. And so I'm not a big like I'm not a big like, you know, family like, hey, the so and so's. I don't know who those people are. You know, and so I'm just like, hey, if I want to stay in touch, I'd have got on Facebook or or I would have got on my wife's Facebook and creeped around. And I would have reached out to you and all those things. And so listen, I'm not like I'm not I'm not a reunion kind of person. You know, my, my fifth my fifth year high school reunion is coming up. And listen, I'm not I'm not going like I'm, I'm just. But having said all that, this is a reunion that I am looking forward to. And this is a reunion that all of us should be looking for. Matter of fact, when Scripture talks about eternal rewards, one of the crowns of the rewards that we are rewarded with are those who are ready and waiting for his appearing. So this is something to look forward to. And I've talked to so many people like, well, I'm scared of that. And when Jesus comes back and, and I read some weird stuff that happens and all this stuff on the earth and, and the beast and all that. And the scorpions, pow, 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 you know, what, what is all like I, that makes me know, listen, there's nothing. This is a reunion to be with Jesus Christ. And it is a reunion to look forward to. We'll be with him forever from that point in time. So here's the question. So like I get that Jesus reveals verse 16. I get that there's this uh, resurrection of the dead, verse 16. I get that there's a catching up, a seizing, a train, change of location uh, where the, those who are made are changed. Verse 17, they're going to be raptured up. The second coming is coming down. And so so but what happens in the reunion? And so the catching up is the rapture of Jesus Christ in verse 17. And the second coming is him coming down and setting up his kingdom. We'll get to that. Like, what happens in between? Like, what are we doing? What's going on on the earth? What are we doing? Are we playing a harp? Right? 
Is, will I finally be able to sing? I mean, like, like what happens? I've heard so many people speculate, like what happens during like what's going to go on in heaven. But a guy one time and he just said, uh, he just said, you know, here's what I know that that in heaven, uh, he's ta- he was a huge NASCAR fan. And so I share the gospel with him. And so um, you get that later. And so like in his mind, that's like he was going to be watch races in heaven. I'm like, really? But another friend who just he just loved to fish. And so in his mind, a part of eternity was going to be to be fishing and all this. So like so just the people fill in the blank. Like what's going to happen? We have all these ideas that we hope is going to happen. But let me tell you what Scripture says will happen between Christ appearing and his second coming. Here's what the Bible says. Two things in heaven and one thing on earth. And so you can write these things down in heaven. Uh, so we're there and Christ meets us in here and takes us to be where he is. Now, where is Jesus at this point in time? And so why does he just come back and set up? Because he wants to take us where he is. Where is Jesus Christ? Hebrews chapter one, verse three says this, that he is seated right now at the right hand of the father. Now, that's not the little right hand of God. God's, God doesn't have a body, so it's not a little right hand. But what does the right hand mean? It's the place of prominence and power in scripture. So he's seated at the place of prominence next to the father. What's he sitting down for? Is he tired? Listen, in their culture, the only time you sat down was to signify that your work was completed. And so you know what that means? Is that when he's seated at the right hand of the Father, it's an indicator that the work of atonement is finished, never to be undone. And so there's no losing your salvation. There's no Christ crawling back up on the cross that when he saved me, it's a finished work, seated, completed at the right hand of the Father. Listen, that's good news. That's good news. And so, so what happens? He meets there and takes us where he is in heaven with the Father, John 14, Father's house. And so what happens? Well, in heaven, in between those times of his coming and his appearing, here's what I understand Scripture teaches. Two events. First one is this. It's the, scripture calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb. What is that? What? I, like, I've never heard that. What does that mean? And where is that found in Scripture? Now, let me just walk you through this. Like in Scripture, one of the descriptions of the church is the bride of Christ. You say, like, where is that found? Second Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about the church being the bride of Christ. Uh, the Bible talks about in Ephesians, uh, the, the husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, th- th- this is relevant, so just stay with me, all right? Do you realize this? Like when a, in a wedding ceremony, and I've done, done several, several weddings. And let me do a time, my favorite part of a wedding. It's not the coming down, the father, and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know what my favorite part of the wedding is? It's being in the back with the groom and watching him get ready to faint. Like, I love that. Because my primary gift is encouragement. And so I just, boy, I pour it on. And here's why I tell them, I say, hey, if you go down, I'm just going to keep going. So don't worry about it, right? I just comfort them so they don't grieve with those without hope. But anyway, and so when the groom comes out and his bridegroom is coming and there is a meeting where the groom comes to receive his bride in a wedding ceremony that we've all seen and many of us have been a part of. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of this. That the bride of Christ, the church, one day the groom will come for his his bride and there will be a marriage. Well, listen, I've been to a wedding before. You know what happens after a wedding? The good part, it's the ceremony. Like after the ceremony, it's the reception. And let's just be honest, that's the best part of a wedding. Amen? It's just food and, and if, you're, if you're carnal, there's dancing. I mean, there's your right? Listen, as Baptists, we're, the reason we're against drinking is we're afraid it may lead to dancing. I mean, that's just... There's like, what happens? There's a, there's a party. There's a celebration. And you know, that's exactly what Scripture teaches will take place in heaven. 
that after we reunited with him in that time of reunion, you say, where's that found in the Bible? Revelation chapter 19, verse seven. If you're with me, still say amen. Good. Revelation 19, seven. Here's what it said. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Who is that? It's the church. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so why does the bride wear white? Listen, it's a picture of this. It's a picture of the church and pure, not because of what we've done, but because Christ has done for us. Verse nine. Here's what it said. Then he said to me, right. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. He said, what happens there? I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I have this, the best I can picture to piece it together. And I studied it simply is it's a celebration of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And there may be singing. There may be, listen, there may be uh, dancing. I, 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 I totally don't know what goes on, but it's a time of celebration. So after Christ appears, there's a reunion. What are we doing? We're hanging out. We're waiting to come back with him and his second coming. No, there's the marriage supper. Land. Let me tell you what else happens in heaven is simply this. Now, before we get there, let me, let me pause. Same passage, verse 11. Here's what it says in Revelation 19. Listen to the change in tone. Now I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Who is that? It's Christ. What's he do? And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Is that like a change of tone? Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Time of rejoicing, verses 7 through 10. Then all of a sudden, verse 11, all the parties over. And then he who sat on the throne is coming what? For more party? For more? No, to make war and to judge. Christ will come the second time to judge those who rejected him. And at that point in time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so verse 11, why the change in tone? Because he's coming in judgment to set up his kingdom and judge those who rejected him for all that time. You see, what else is going on? That during this time between the reveal of Jesus Christ, the rapture and the second coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place. Let me tell you what else takes place. The judgment seat of Christ. He's, that doesn't sound good. We talked about that in our series called Here Comes the Judge. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's also called the Bema Seat. Listen, don't, don't worry about that because here's what it is. It's simply a time of eternal rewards being presented. And Scripture talks about during that time that all the things I did that were wasted, all the things that were temporal, all the things that were self-centered, I'll offer those things up and they'll be consumed as fire on the altar. And all those things I did for the Lord, all those pure motives and loving my wife and the world. And listen, all those things, those things will be tried by fire and the things that were eternal, they will last. What happens? Well, based on the amount of my what's left after it's judged for its works, I'll be rewarded. Scripture talks about five crowns of reward. What do I do with that? I cast them at the feet of Jesus in worship. And so Christ is revealed. Christ calls us to himself that where he is, we might be also. During that time, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place. Eternal rewards are given during that time. You say, how do you know it's during that time? Here's what Revelation 22 says. Behold, I am coming quickly. Sounds like a rapture. I am coming quickly. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. And so that's what's going on during that time. What's happened on earth during that time? Revelation chapter four, chapter four through chapter 19 is a description of that. It's called a period called tribulation. There's lots of you know, discussion about how long is it? 
Some would say it's seven years. Some say it's longer than that. Some say it's uh, three and a half years that it's tribulation and it's great tribulation. There's a midpoint. It gets worse. Uh, all those kind of listen in my current understanding of Scripture. I think it's a period of seven years. The first half is a period of tribulation. The second half is a period of great tribulation. And that's when the Bible talks about you know, the beast and the Antichrist and the, you know, Mark 666 and all that, all that. Listen, all those things we think about, the scorpions and just, you know, coming on a white horse and judging the four horsemen of the apocalypse. All those things that we read in Revelation you go, what is that? It's that time of tribulation. And during that time, that those who are not saved, those who are not caught up in the air, there is an opportunity for them to be saved. However, in order to receive Christ during that time, you must deny the mark of the beast. And so the only way that you can be saved during that time is to be martyred. And I've had people say, well, listen, if that happens, then I'll, then I'll do it. And can I share with you this morning that if you won't live for him now, you won't die for him then probably. Today's the day of salvation is what Scripture talks about. And so there's this time of tribulation. So there's this time of reunion. We're with Him in the air. Marriage, supper, and the Lamb. Eternal rewards are given during that time under the banner of reunion. Now, let me just say this. Under the banner of reunion, one of the most common questions I get is this. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm excited for that. And I'm finally going to see Jesus. Marriage, supper, and the Lamb. That sounds really cool. I've never heard of that, but that's, man, that's awesome. Rewards, what a great time. But the most common question I get is this. Under the banner of reunion, will I know those who have died and gone on before me to heaven? Or is that just something we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better? Is that an important question? Because guess what? If it's just something we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better, then listen, in the end, when it really counts, we'll be let down. And so what does, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with a grieving family and said, will we see them again? Does the Bible really teach that? Write these verses down because in your deepest times of grief, let the word of God, not your opinions, comfort you during those times. I believe the answer is yes. But scripture teaches, yes. You say, where do you see that? Let me give you a couple examples and then one really strong passage. Matthew chapter 22. Verses 31 through 32, Jesus makes it a point that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were alive and existing as individuals still by those names. Still being identified in eternity by who they were on earth. Still, it just continues. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Transfiguration passage. Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah after they were already in eternity. How? By the same way he recognized them here on the earth. We see that scripture there as well. Now, let me give you the strongest passage in scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Here's what the Word of God says. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Listen. Now I know in part, but then I shall know how. Just as I also am known. Just, just, like, just how people know me here at this point in time. Listen, on the other side of eternity, I will be known how. Just as I am known. Known. Listen, I don't know about you. That's incredibly comforting to me. Incredibly encouraging. Now, let me just say one more thing and we'll move on. How many of you have ever said this? And maybe dishonestly. Oh, there's such an angel. You ever said that? No one knows me as an angel now. Correct? And so, well, well, anyway. 
Just my mama. Amen. Just my mama. And so when the Bible says you will know them just as you know them now, first Corinthians 13, 12. If I'm not known as an angel now, I will not be known as an angel in heaven. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people ask me, like this person I love, they, they've died and, they, and they've, they're an angel and they're watching over me. Listen, Scripture doesn't teach that anywhere. You know where that theology comes from? Hallmark. You will know them how. We were talking about that in the office this week. Say, hey, what are you preaching on? I'm going to talk to this. And, and they said, oh, yeah, they're going to talk to the, like the angels. You'll know them just saying so you know now. They're not an angel now, so they won't be an angel then. And, and, well, like, what, what, like, and then like, when the bell rings, you know, they got their angel. And so Sean Acre, like a student pastor, so just take the context. He said, oh, yeah, until the bell rings, and it's got little nubs. They're just flying around. And that's the kind of spiritual stuff we talk about throughout the week here at Liberty Heights Church. All right. The reunion. You guys like that? Anyway, the reunion. Here's the fifth R. Here's the fifth R. The reign of Christ. The reign of Christ. And I'm just going to spend a few seconds here uh, because this is outside the scope of our text. But, but Revelation chapter 20 describes this. Christ coming on the earth. Revelation chapter 20. If you want to turn there with me, you can. But I'll read Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, I believe. Revelation chapter 20 says this, Blessed and holy who has a part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. Who's those in the first resurrection? The dead in Christ who are raised. And the second death, which the Bible describes as hell, has no power over them. Why? Because they've been raised in righteousness. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 17. What else does it say at the end of that? Verse 6, over such person the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ. Listen, it's right here. And they shall reign with him. For a thousand years. It's called the millennial thousand, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so right after we see the heavens opening up, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, and him descending on a white horse to make war and judgment during that time. And there will come a time the unsaved dead are resurrected to stand before God at the great white throne. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. The saints will reign with him. Revelation chapter 20. And then we'll spend eternity with him. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21. And whoever adds these words, let not his name be found written in the book of life. Revelation chapter 22. Five R's. The reveal, the resurrection, the rapture, the reunion, the reign. The reveal, the resurrection, the rapture, the reunion, the reign. Can you say that with me? The reveal, the resurrection, the rapture, the reunion, the reign. One more time. The reveal, the resurrection, the rapture, the reunion, the reign. Congratulations. You're an end times expert. Stop by Mission Central and get your gold star. All right. And so that's just the foundation. That is totally just the foundation. So that's the first question about what will happen. So we've got just a few minutes left. Let me walk through the second two questions very quickly here. Here's the second question everybody wants to know. When will it happen? When will it happen? Now, here's the question I get. Are we living in the last days, preacher? Like, like I, you know, I saw this on the news and, and I, like, I, you know, this Israel became a you know, state at the point in time. And so... So are we living in the last days? Here, here's what I want you to understand from a biblical perspective. The answer is yes. That the last days ticker started ticking at the ascension of Jesus Christ in the beginning of Acts. And so when Christ ascended, the last day stopwatch started. When does it end? At the rapture of Jesus Christ. 
All right. And so, yes, from a biblical perspective, we're living in the last days that started once Christ ascended. But here's what people know. Like I get these in the last days. But when is the last day? Write this down. And I'm going to share prophetic truth this morning. Write this down. I don't know. Write this down. Neither do you. You got that? And yes, there are seasons. The Bible talks about birth pains and seasons and signs and all those kinds of things. Listen, the only thing holding back the trigger, holding back the reveal of Jesus Christ is the sovereign will of the Father. That's the only thing holding that back. Do you understand that? And the scripture talks about this, that listen, we just don't know. And yes, there are some things, but at the end of the day, we don't know. We have no idea when he'll reveal. We have no idea when he'll descend with a shout. We have no idea when the trump of of the archangel the trumpet of God. We, listen, we don't know those things. And apparently the Thessalonians, they, they, they had questions too. Because they asked these questions about Christ's revealing. And so Paul said, let me answer that. And part of that's First Thessalonians. And then they had more questions. What about this? And what about this when Jesus comes? And what about this? And so Paul wrote a second letter. Very creative title. Second Thessalonians. All right? And so they had more questions. So Paul said, let me talk about that. So if you want to study more of that, Second Thessalonians is a great place to be. And all those kind of. But here's what the scripture says. It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father is set by His own authority. It is by God's will that this is done. In Luke, Jesus said, there's a picture when the Son of Man comes again, it'll be as though Noah lived. People are eating and drinking and marrying and giving their children in marriage. No, they're just going about their lives. Just totally oblivious. Just going on. And then, then it happened. Then the flood came during that point in time. He said, is there something like a thief in the night kind of verse? Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time the thief of the night was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house to be broken into. And so, yes, there are some things that have to happen before his second coming. Yes, there are signs of those coming. But listen, here's what I want you to understand. Before the rapture happens, it's nothing. And the word I want you to understand is imminent. At any moment, without warning. He can appear and call his church home. Which leads us to the last question. So what? Hey, neat Bible study. Five R's. Got it. Imminent. So what? Let me give you three so what's. Number one, comfort yourself. With these words. Verse 13. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And so practical application number one is simply this, is that when someone who knows Jesus Christ dies, should we grieve? He doesn't say don't grieve, does he? I've seen people at funerals before like it's wrong to grieve because they're with the Lord and they wouldn't come back if they want to. Listen, grieve. If you don't grieve when somebody you love passes, you're not spiritual. You're weird. All right. He doesn't say don't grieve. He said, don't grieve. How? As those who have no hope. And so let the truth of this scripture comfort you. That they're going to before they're not missing anything. And there will be a time reading where just as they are known now, they'll be known then. Be comforted with that. Be comforted that at his appearing Everything else will pale in comparison. All the struggle, all the heartache of life, all the challenges, all the suffering, all the persecution, all the trials. Be comforted that this life isn't all there is. And when he appears, listen, it'll all be worth it. 
comfort yourself with these truths. What about his second coming when he comes? Revelation 19, 11, He's coming on a white horse to make. Listen, you know, the truth of the second coming and he's coming to judge the earth. He said, that doesn't, I don't like that. Why? That doesn't seem fair. You know what that comforts me is that in the end, justice will be served. In the end, everything that's wrong will be made right by the righteous king and judge. Comfort yourself with these words. Not as those who have no hope. Number two, live with urgency for the gospel. Live with urgency for the gospel. Like if the, re- the reveal of Jesus Christ is imminent at any moment, you know what that should create us? An urgency. Then he'll come and there'll be those who are resurrected or dead in Christ. And those of us will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And those who are not saved, listen, they'll walk through that time of tribulation. Some say three and a half. So listen, at the end of the day, however long it is, it will not be a pleasant experience. And so we should live with urgency to get the gospel out. One of the things I appreciate, listen, we're a contemporary church. We don't, we are who we are. But you know one of the things I appreciate about the old timers? is that they preached with urgency. They talked about the return of Christ and they talked about heaven and they talked about hell a lot. You know what we talk about in church today? Relationships. Don't want God on relationships? Of course I do. But I think we should probably teach a little more about eternity if I'm going to spend a lot of time there. And there was an urgency in their preaching. How many of you ever sat under an ur- How many of you ever sat under a hellfire urgent sermon? Right? Like just knuckles gripping, I mean, scared to death, just sweating like a fat kid at a dance. Amen. I mean, just, just that's hypo, I don't share that. It's just, that's not personal. It's hypothetical. And that, listen, there was some fear mongering going on. I, I get that. But you know what it did do? It created some urgency. Because when you preach a social gospel in relationships and come when someone comes in and says, my relationships are good. Thanks for the advice. I'm fine. You come in and preach about the soon coming king who's coming in judgment. There's a need to get right. Live with urgency. Here's the last one. Be ready. Be ready. When he comes. On the day of his appearing, if it were today, here's the question. Where would he find you? And I don't mean Geography. I mean, personally. When he finds you nursing bitterness, when he's called you to forgiveness. When he finds you faithful and fruitful. When he finds you making excuses about your schedule. When he finds you loving your spouse like the church that he's coming back for. When he finds you joyfully and generously giving or when he finds you fearfully hoarding and greedily consuming, would he find you as one who is unashamedly identified with him through baptism? Or are you still praying about a command? You all right out there? Would he find you saved or unsaved? Make no mistake about it. Scripture is so clear. Jesus will come back for his church. He will appear in the clouds It'll be in the twinkling of an eye. No question about it. The only question that remains is whether or not you'll be left behind when he does. Let me invite you to bow your heads this morning, if you would.